I've decided I'm not going to leave anymore because every time I come back, I'm left with some really difficult passage to... Uh... <laughs> I was looking, I was, Lisa did a great job last week, Eduardo did a great job, Will did a great job, so grateful for everyone that gets up here to teach, and uh, so I'm thinking, all right, where do I pick up? And sure enough, it's not a feel-good passage, and... Uh, I think that Wendy was pulling it up. She was get, setting up the computer. She said, like, I don't like this passage. <laughs> and I said, all right, we'll, we'll cover it. We'll talk about it. We'll unpack it a little bit. Um, <clears throat> here's our theme, right? Jesus is greater. Stick Amen. with it. Amen. Stick with it. Uh, it's pretty basic, and they're covering a lot of complex stuff that... Uh, Jewish people in the first century, Jewish Christians, uh, would be very important to them. And for us, uh, we have to wrestle through it and try to pick it apart and try to understand the larger themes that are going on there. Uh, but we've gotten through the spec sheet, so to speak. We've gotten through some of the details, and we're moving. This is a sermon, and we're moving into a, a portion that is a bit more encouraging once we get over that last hurdle there, the last warning that we'll see uh, this, this morning. Um, <clears throat> So last week, I got home on Thursday. I was here on Sunday, but I was gone uh, for that week leading up to uh, the weekend. And I was invited to go on a pastor's retreat in South Carolina, uh, Charleston, right near the ocean. The the, the ocean, um, we were right on the ocean, but it was sort of a marshy, reedy sort. It wasn't like on the beach. And the tide would come in and out. And all these pastors from around the, the, the country are like, this tide is blowing my mind, you know. And like it's a t- you know, in Maine, this close to the ocean, all our rivers have tides. So I was like, it's no big deal, really. But uh, they thought it was a drought. They showed up and they said, all the water's gone. I said, give it six hours, it'll it'll be back. Uh, but it it was a lot of fun. Um, there was no agenda. This wasn't a conference where it was how to, you know, deepen your uh, vocational calling or, you know, connect. We didn't open. We were never told to turn to a passage. Um, it was pretty basic. The, the programming was we want you to sit around this big long table for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That was it. In between those times, we could do whatever we wanted and there was frisbee golf and there was fire pits and there was there was uh, fishing and saltwater fishing freshwater fishing going out on the boat Um, we played some crazy game of ping pong one night that was a lot of fun Uh, and they had about a hundred acres of trails and and things like that so it was interesting because that that first night I saw where, where things were going, and I thought, this is going to be very powerful. Uh, so we sit around these long tables. I think there was about between 15 to 20 of us. And, the, and it was just one question. We only got through half the people on the first night um, answering this simple question. Uh, what have been your highs and your lows in the past year? Because it's been a crazy year. Um, and so... The stories uh, were just heart-wrenching. It was a very tearful time. I felt a bit weepy the whole time just listening to these guys talk. Um, And as I said, it it wasn't a Bible study. We had guys that, we had one guy who was the chief of staff for one of the largest churches in the nation. 
And then we had uh, a handful of churches that were smaller, like North Harbor, and all in between. And so this one guy who, who serves at a humongous church, in uh, a, a well-known church, he's the, he's the pastor to the pastors, just talked about how joy has been a battle. Like every day just trying to find joy, which was so hard to believe because joy seems to be a staple at this church and it seemed to be a staple for him i had a lot of conversation this guy i connected with probably the most of everyone there and he was so encouraging i mean he was just a a pleasure to be around and so to think about that you know joy being a battle for this guy uh, was hard to imagine and i think he went first and uh, just talking about that simple, just getting up every day and trying to have joy throughout this year, uh, it started the tears flowing, and they just kept going around the table. Um, one guy talked about uh, trying to merge with another church, a new church plant, and merging with an older church, and that going not very well at all. Um, one person talked about battling uh, personal addictions. Um, another guy is talking about trying to move into space and trying to get all the financing, all the hurdles you have to, to overcome to get into the space and what a chore that was. Uh, this other guy had a, a launch team that was just leaving left and right. They're losing people. Now he's trying to merger with another church. Um, and everyone had this theme coming in, like, I don't belong here. Whatever is going on, first of all, we didn't quite know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going on because we were, we were the only fourth group there. And I think they're just trying to get this thing going. So no one, that was the funny thing. No one really knew what we were signing up for. And, um, but everyone thought that I don't belong in this group. That whoever this group is for, it's not us. Um, these are rock star pastors. I don't belong. I heard that over and over and over again. And it's always surprising because that's the way you feel, right? And you're like, oh, everyone else feels the same. Um, I'm listening to these stories, and the tears are just flowing, like, with everyone. And we only got through half the people on the first full night there. And so the second night was more of the same. I think they had more questions in mind, but we, it just took so long because it's been a tough year. And... Time after time after time again, I'm hearing these stories about guys who are, are just ready to call it quits. Um, and it's amazing how hurtful church people can be. And I did not have those stories, so I'm very grateful. Um, but the stories that they told were heart-wrenching. Um, <clears throat> and that's all this was. The whole purpose was to bring in these pastors, know that there's struggle going on, and just to connect, just to sit down and listen, and to hear the stories, to encourage, and I'm still getting texts from people that, you know, two weeks later, I'm still getting texts um, with this whole group, encouraging each other and updates and all of this sort of thing, and... It was so encouraging, and that's sort of where we left off. Last week, the theme specifically was Jesus' sacrifice is greater than all these other sacrifices that you are familiar with if you're a Jewish person in the first century. And, and so we, we ended with this passage, 
It says, uh, Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's a big theme in this book as well. God can be trusted. God is faithful. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And that's what this whole week was. That's all it was. And it was beautiful. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why? We, so, so this is what happens. We read this and we think, I'm a bad person. I miss church one day. That's not what this is about. What it's about is what that, that retreat was about. We need to get people together. We need to be with one another and encourage one another in the faith. We need that. God works through people. Amen. You're driving down a road, you hear that song, and it hits you just the right way. Someone's singing it. Someone wrote it. Someone recorded it. We read our Bibles. Someone wrote it. Someone was inspired to write that passage, write the book of Hebrews. Um, God works through people. This idea of just connecting. And so, we move on to the big wet blanket in this passage. (laughs) Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> An English job. Yeah. So, this is interesting. And I, I'm convinced people that are writing scripture that we read weren't thinking they were writing scripture when they wrote it, okay? <laughs> it's very specific. When we come up, I'm sharing a specific story about what I experienced trying to explain it to you. And what's going on in Hebrews is very specific. And some of these concepts like sin and judgment and all that are, are very general. And faith, we're going to get to faith as well. And so we need to understand how those are complex situations and the sermon is picking out just little pieces that are specific to what this, the pastor is trying to accomplish with this sermon. So let's unpack this. Now when I read this... I, I, always, I love the fact that Eduardo did this. This is a few years ago. I can't remember, but the opening story was, I've said this before because it, it had an impact on me, so I'm going I'm to say it again. Um, you know, my furnace broke, so God's mad at me. You know, we have that sense that uh, there's this karma that works with God, that if, you know, something goes wrong, then God must be mad at me. And this speaks volumes to wherever we learn that or whatever we grew up with or, or whatever. This, this idea that I've done something and God is upset with me. Um, <clears throat> and I think what it speaks to is this concept that our faithfulness is working out some sort of, arrange, uh, some sort of contract with God. If I do well, then God will treat me well. And if I don't do, if something goes wrong, then I must have slipped up somewhere. Okay? This idea of, in, you know, our behavior, our moral and ethical behavior and, and, and what we do in life with others, whatever. 
And uh, it's interesting because I think also when when trials hit uh, and people get mad at God. Now, I want to be clear. These feelings are okay. It's okay to engage those feelings and work through them. We don't want to feel guilty if we are feeling anger. God can handle your anger. Amen. Okay? Um, but I wonder if, we, if we've gone through that sort of, I'm mad at God because this happened, we have that same sort of idea that it almost, it almost points to a theology that I did all these things right and the contract wasn't upheld on your end, God, right? And so we get mad. Um, I think what we see here with trials in their context is more of the, the preacher here is trying to say, this is an opportunity. We're going to get to that in a second. It's not that God is mad with you. So when we come to a passage like this, because we've been conditioned, whether it's through our childhood church or whether it was through some Bible camp we went to or whatever, wherever we learned that, um, or maybe it's other myths floating around in our culture, you know, making a list, checking it twice sort of thing, those, those ideas filter into our brains and we read this and think, here's a limit. You know, I cannot continue to sin or God will reach the point where the straw that, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's what it reads like. That's what it seems like when we read it on the surface, right? So I just want to read something else in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 14. This goes back to last week and it talks about Jesus' offering of himself, the sacrifice of himself. For by that one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Amen. Now that right there, I believe, is talking about stumbling blocks. The things we trip up. where we keep going back to that one sin. One guy talked about the addictions he was feeling. Um, and that's real complex, how we work through and get through that transformation when we're working with addictions, okay? And that passage there is speaking to those things. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really do it. And the things that I'm, I know I shouldn't be doing, I'm doing those. Any, you know, That kind of issue is our sins in the sense of growing and maturing in our faith. That's not what this person's talking about in terms of sins. Okay? What this congregation is dealing with is the idea that I'm going to walk away from the faith. It's not that I'm struggling with that cantankerous person at work, or I'm struggling with a family member, or I'm struggling with an addiction. Or, you know, I did it again, whatever that was. That's, that's a different discussion. It's a different aspect of sin that is not really what this is about. Another aspect of sin in that first century world is that you have the nation of Israel. When off, sometimes when they speak of sin, it's talking about this group issue. We have... As a nation, as a people group, left God, and as a result, we are sitting under Roman oppressors. And so the question is, how do we realize the kingdom of God? 
Now, some people thought we should fight. That happened several times, and it never worked out well for them. You got good scripture kind of to back that up. David and Goliath, go out there, just have faith and fight. You'll take down the giant, right? Another aspect is we need to retreat and just become really holy people, and that kingdom will come eventually. And that's the Dead Sea Scrolls in that community. They went to a, kind of a commune, I guess, and had their own way of doing things. Um, another way, but, but the point is, is that part of the national kind of consciousness is how do we realize God's kingdom? Because we've sinned. And so sometimes when we read sin, what we read is my personal sins. And what they're talking about is this sort of attitude of how does we as a people group realize God's kingdom? How is that going to happen? So Jesus talks about the kingdom very often. Okay? So the issue here is are we going to leave God? Are we going to ditch this project? And specifically, from the person who's teaching Hebrews, God is Jesus. Amen. Are we going to ditch this faith? Okay, so let's think of it in a different way. Let's tell a story about the prodigal son. And let's add in another character. Uh, the cousin. The cousin who was always sitting at their table and knew the family really well. And so the prodigal son, the younger one, comes to his cousin and says, I think I'm going to ditch this. I'm going to leave my home and I'm going to go to a land far away. I'm just, I'm tired of... I want to see the world, and I want to live for myself. And you can imagine the cousin saying, we know the brother, the older brother, is kind of a jerk. We don't want to talk about him. So the cousin is saying, gosh, he's seen it. He's seen the love of the father. He's seen the household. He's sat at the table. He's gotten the meals. He knows the love that's there, and he's saying, just don't do that. Don't leave this home and set up camp in this other place. Because it will only lead to death. <laughs> and when I say death, I mean that your relationships will suffer, your well-being will suffer, your spiritual life will suffer. The forces of death. That's the enemy. That is the curse upon humanity. It's death. The forces of death. Okay? The things that we do that break relationship, that break trust, the things that we do that aren't good for the environment. The systems we set up that oppress people, those are the forces of death, and those things are under God's judgment. And so when we set up camp in those things, in this case, the prodigal son, if I'm going to live for myself, and we think of greed and just self-fulfillment, you're placing yourself in a home that eventually is going to fall. It comes out as language that talks about judgment and fire and all that sort of thing. But that is what we're talking about here. Okay? The son, we know the story, the son returns. And the father races out to meet him. And not only that, but when the son tries to explain, he says, it doesn't matter. I don't need to hear all that. I love you. I want you back. So God is always there to receive us. God is always there to receive us. So we're not talking about sins where I just keep doing this thing that messes up and eventually God's going to reach a limit. 
What we're talking about in terms of sin here is he's got a congregation that's suffering. And I think they're suffering on many sides. Because as Jews living in the first century, the Roman government could be oppressive at times. They had seasons that were okay, kind of overlooked their worship. And they had seasons where they, it wasn't okay. They were persecuted as Jewish people. So now we have Christians who are Jewish and they have that kind of suffering because ethnically they're Jewish. And on top of that, they're, the synagogue, they're getting, they're getting uh, persecuted from the synagogue as well. They're getting persecuted all over the place. And they're asking themselves, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And it's like the cousin who knows the home. The, the person writing this is saying, don't set up camp in that home. Because all of those forces of evil will come under judgment. And if we're sitting there, it's not that God is mad with us, but we're going to be lost. Once, once we have built our house on this foundation and it gets taken out from underneath us, you're going to be lost. So there is a real danger here, but it's not, you're a terrible sinner and, you know, you can never return. We can always return. And so when we move on, it says, so do not throw away, verse 35, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings to you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that God has promised. And he quotes a passage here from the Hebrew Bible. says, For in just a little while the coming one will return and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Here's what this is saying. God doesn't force God's self on us. If we choose not to live in that home... God's not going to force us. And that's a good thing. Because when we raise our kids, we're always telling them, no means no. We want our kids to learn that. No means no. For God, no means no. And, and God loves us so much that God cannot control us and will not control us. We are allowed to leave. And the person here is saying, don't do that. Okay, so we're not talking about these regular sins, this personal things that we trip up and then the furnace breaks. That's not. This is about people who are considering to leave the camp, the home that Jesus has set up. <clears throat> and he does this encouraging thing at the end. But we will not be like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Now what happens is, it's kind of hidden here, but he turns this idea of suffering into a sports metaphor. This is building endurance. All that pain of running. I hate running. I hate it. I, if I never ran again, it would be a good life. Um, we had Girls on the Run, a great program at our school that uh, only part of it's about running, the other part is about building self-esteem. And um, Sophie and I got to cheer on these elementary school girls who were running uh, this 3K, 5K. 
And uh, it was such a blast to encourage them. Say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And so here's what happens. If we, if we change what suffering is talking about here, uh, there needs to be a shift. Because this congregation is, they're suffering and they're thinking about ditching the faith. So now what the, the, the author has to do is change their perspective on the suffering. Right? We need that as well. Because this is a reality for us as well. Okay? Things get so bad and we think, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And we've seen, we've all known people that have drifted away from the faith. And God loves them so much that allows them to do that. Okay? But it's a, it's a real struggle. So now, we need to re-understand what the suffering is like. And so the author leads us into a conversation about faith. So that what we see is interpreted differently. <clears throat> because they're saying this is false. God is not faithful. God is not trustworthy. And the trials are just too much. And the person is saying, no, you need to see it from a different perspective. So he goes in to talk about faith. And here we have these famous passages. Hebrews 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So we talked about faith, and we often refer to this. This is faith. And again, faith is a bit more complex. The author here is just offering a sliver of an understanding of it for his purpose in this sermon. But even this little bit is profound. Um, <clears throat> and basically what it's saying is you need to understand what you're going through from a different perspective, right? Um, <clears throat> faith is the bedrock of our relationship with God. Amen. It's the bedrock. Everything grows from that. But it's not always solid. It's not passive. It's something that we do. It's faithfulness. It's how we act. It's how we live. It's how we engage this world. But it seems like feeble at times. It can be feeble when trials come. It can be feeble when things are easy, actually, as well. We get into times of ease. We're not thinking about how much we need God so much. Um, it can easily falter. But what he's talking about is that you already possess in the present what God has promised for our future. Um, <clears throat> it's part inward reality and part outward force. It's a response to the trustworthiness of God and the reality of those, God, those promises that God gives us in our moving forward. Now that seems real conceptual. And I'm sure it's conceptual to them. And so he launches into stories to show us 
what it's like. And here we have this kind of what we call, I hear it all the time, the Hall of Fame of faithful people. Which is a problem, because when I go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm not there. I'm surprised. They, don't have my, they haven't asked for my guitar to hang on the wall. And so when we talk about this Hall of Fame of faith, it puts it out of our camp. And that's not what the author is doing. Let's read it. I'm, not, I'm just going to pick on two here. We'll talk about Noah and Abraham. So verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. <clears throat> he obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, or by his faithfulness, Noah condemned the rest of the world. And again, this is an idea that you're choosing which camp you're going to live in. Condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So God warns him about something that has never happened. And he acts on it. That's crazy. <laughs> right? This, we're all thinking of the old Bill Cosby routine, you know, where he's like, right, a boat, what is that? You know, who's ever heard of an ark? We've never, you know, but the way the story unfolds, it seems absolutely nuts that he would do that. But he engages in that activity. And he builds a boat which brings salvation, it's really a recreation of the world. That's what that story is about. <clears throat> it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home, go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went, when we read Genesis, we forget this. This is so important. He went without knowing where he was going. This is just like God. Go to a land I will show you. Well, can you pull it up on my phone for me? Because I'd like, I want, I want that little voice to tell me when to turn left. But no, go to a land. This is just journey. We're just going to set out. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. And it's a living out of that faith based on the promise. And eventually he gets it. Here it is. <clears throat> Didn't even know where he's going. Um... <clears throat> And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Here's one quote that talks about this a little bit. Faith holds on to both future realities, these promises of God, and inward realities, trusting the Holy Spirit in our lives, those who live by faith are so convinced of God's truthfulness that they stake their whole lives on His promises, Amen. showing these promises to be real. Thus, in a sense, faith makes future realities present and unseen realities Visible. Unseen realities visible. To a land I will show you. How do we know it's there? Because he, because he started out. That's how we see it. He, he started out. And then he comes back around in verse 13, goes through a whole list of uh, women and men in, in the Hebrew Bible who acted on faith. 
All these people died, get this, still believing what God promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Abraham has promised a great nation. He never sees it. He's promised this land. He never quite sees it. He's promised that his descendants will bless all the face of the earth. He never quite sees it. But he acts and he lives out in faith, despite any trials that come along. Well, he wasn't always faithful. He, he acted out in other ways, too. But <laughs> God still loves him. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. Abraham believed there was something greater. Noah believed there was something greater. If they didn't, they would have stopped building. They would have turned around. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland, homeland where uh, that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. We sometimes think that faith is beyond reason. Like, for me, sometimes it is. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to explain to someone the resurrection. I also don't know how to explain how my phone works, but I still use it. All the time, we act on faith. I don't know how it works. Someone does. I'm sure someone might be able to explain it. But it doesn't change the fact that I still use it and I expect it to work when I turn it on. Okay? So there are times, at least for me, where it's beyond reason. But I think we always talk about it as this step, this blind leap of faith that, you know, don't even think, you just have to, you know, forget all those feelings of fear. That's not true. Faith and reason, faith and thoughtfulness can go together. And here's how this works, and it's, it's just... It's mind-blowing, okay? Faith is not against reason, but beyond reason. Faith, we think, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. So we think faith is beyond knowing. I just have to take a blind leap here. In that world, faith is a way of knowing. Faith is a way of understanding and knowing God. So it works with Reason. Faith is not against reason, but beyond reason. It perceives what cannot be perceived with the senses or deduced by logic, but which God has revealed. Faith is a reliable way of knowing because it is founded on the faithfulness and the truthfulness of God. It does not deny, but it complements and elevates the knowledge that we gain from human reason and science. Acting on faith gives gives evidence to what is unseen. Acting on faith gives evidence to what is unseen. Those who live by faith give persuasive evidence to others that invisible things are truly real. Amen. Now, how does this work? He's talking about all these people that walk in faith. And he's, it's not the Hall of Fame. He's putting them in this camp. You're in the same camp as Abraham. You're in the same camp as Noah. And we see their stories, and we see that God is at work. 
So faith is seeing. It's relying on things that are, that are unseen. And this is what was happening at the retreat. <laughs> These people are all, they're, they're overwhelmed by their struggles. And they have other Christians come together and say, God is at work. You can't see it, but I see it. Faith yeah. is understanding those things that are unseen. I see it. I see it at work in your life in your life, and in your life. And so we go back to the beginning. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together because that's where we get to see faith, people speaking into our lives and saying, endure. Don't leave the Father's home because whatever that other place is, is destined to crumble. Stay with it. Stick with it. God loves you. And we've all experienced that, where someone looks into your life and says, I can see how God is working in your work at Bowdoin College and at InterVarsity and with your family, which is a mess right now, and with this person that's sick. I see how God is at work. And the only difference is that what he's using are these people that they've been reading about all their lives, Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, Sarah. We've seen it. Faith becomes visible in that community where we see it. Um, so girls on the run, you know, we're out there ringing a cowbell. You can do it. We're at the corners. You don't know what's around the corner. We're, we're here to tell them this is the way to go. And we were at the front of the race. And Sophie and I had so much fun cheering them on. We're like, let's go to the corner at the back of the race, too. You know, and that was even better because people were lagging. We had There were girls that were... Well, I think they might have walked the whole 3K or 5K, but they were still there. We're around the corner. You can't see it coming down pleasant, but if you just take a corner here, you're going to see the end, and you will make it. Right? Yes. Cheering them on. And this person is so desperately saying, don't give in to the trial. Don't. Don't leave the Father's home. If you do, that's a different sermon on sin, but he will always accept you back and he's not going to break your furnace on purpose. This is, this is, the issue here is leaving. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. And I'm going to leave. And this person is desperately saying, we can see faith. There's evidence in these yeah. people who lived it out. So continue to gather together. All the people that go to lakes on the weekends, that's okay in Maine. We get that. Find some way to connect. Prayer. Come into women's group. Do midweek groups. Whatever it is. But stay connected because God works through people. Amen. Jesus is greater. Stick with it. Amen. Right? Okay. Let's pray. We'll get the band up here. God, we... Uh, faith it is so powerful and yet we we can let it slip through our hands so easily so easily help us to see your love for us your strength your faithfulness all of us are going through trials it seems to be a theme, at least in the last few months especially, God, just the stories I've, I've heard 
of people having a hard time, all these men at the retreat and all the people I talk to here, just how hard faith can be. Bring people into our lives to speak truth of your love and your faithfulness and what they see, your, they, they see, how they see you working in our lives. Give us encouragement and may we be an encouragement to others. Speak through us. Pray through us for our brothers and sisters in the church. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen.